0: BestBookBits.com presents the book summary of Andrew Carnegie biography by David Nassau. On February 4, 1901, Carnegie sold his steel business. It sold for $400 million at the time, and with this sale, he became the wealthiest man in the world. J.P. Morgan bought his firm and used it as a base for U.S. steel. But are you seeking to learn how to get rich? Sorry, this isn't the goal of this biography. Instead, David Nassau presents a real tragic comedy in over 800 pages. It's about the life of a poor, tragically short immigrant. This lad became successful during the golden period of capitalism. He was a robber tycoon, charity donor, and a peaceneck. The author reveals many secret missions of Carnegie. These were used for exporting his early employers and then his immature investors. This book Andrew Carnegie corrects biographies which doesn't include Carnegie's dark railroad bonds. The book also describes how Carnegie used his money for donations. We recommend this classic piece for its exciting portrayal of a unique man. Takeaways. Andrew Carnegie was an industrial baron and a proud donor. He represents the American dream rising from poverty to riches and power. Carnegie followed a semi-ethical yet the legal path to becoming the richest man. He felt that the evolution law needed suppression of workers. His key to wealth was producing a high-demand product, i.e. steel. Also, he believed in insider trading, higher tariffs, and lower wages. His greatness made even J.P. Morgan come to him. After retiring from the steel business, Carnegie began the charity business. His donation legacy stays in the libraries he built across the nation. He fought for world peace, but in vain. Carnegie was a master of self-promotion. He asked his fellow businessmen to donate all their money before death. Andrew Carnegie Summary Rising from Tough Roots Early capitalism came to the surface with the theory of survival of the fittest. This theory also justified the ruthless British business policies during the Industrial Age. These practices suited the robber barons of the 19th century. Andrew Carnegie was one of them. He had poor beginnings and troubled childhood. His father was an unsuccessful weaver, but her mother was heroic. She worked hard to provide for the family. Carnegie's mother borrowed money and migrated with her family to the US. This was to flee from a Scottish depression. The family arrived with no money, but a will to work. Carnegie could have been just another teen among thousands of immigrants, but he had fantastic math skills and a sharp memory. He started as a fellow Scots accountant. Later, he became his business partner. Working for the Pennsylvania Railroad, Pensy, By 24, Carnegie was helping his boss manage sectors of the Pennsylvania Railroad. This was when he got his first stocks as an insider. It was a legal yet unethical financing deal. Carnegie charged insufficient workers and fired them. He said he felt so confident that he could do anything. Carnegie was working as a railroader near the intense battle of Bull Run. There he made some significant contribution to the union. And just off the war field, he got wounded. He later described this as having bled for the nation, which gave him everything. While working as a railroader, he learned the key to getting rich, live cheaply, in the starting, save money, and then invest it. He saved money to invest in the share market startups. Also, he invested in deals he came to know about by insider information. Insider trading was legal at the time. He made a killing after killing. And he socialized with his seniors. Carnegie was very sensitive about his weaknesses. These was his short height and a Scottish accent. But he became a chameleon. Image showed that he masked himself as an older businessman. He would wear a thin beard, tall hat and a formal coat. All this to hide his baby looks. Start of the entrepreneur journey. Carnegie's first big entrepreneur effort was oil drilling. Along with his Pensy boss, he created an oil drilling firm. The company owned many acres where oil naturally came from the ground. They also formed a company to develop metal bridges. These bridges would replace the old wooden ones. Another creative plan was to create a human-made lake to store drilled oil. They thought it would become valuable when oil wells would dry up. Most of the stored oil leaked out, but they still sold it at a profit. Carnegie earned a lot from 1860 to 1865. At that time, he was a member of a private pool of investors. This pool started as a company to supply railroad repair firms. They hid their shares in the names of family members. Carnegie and his Pensy boss got lucrative contracts with other railroad companies. This was in a very sneaky and unethical way. With such investment in ventures, Carnegie flew like a rocket. He was only 35 when he got a million dollars. All this while he was still unmarried. Besides his yearly salary of just $2,500 from Pensy, becoming a tycoon in the 19th century America. Carnegie's idea of a wealthy man was the British nobleman, cultured, land-rich and patriotic. Hence, Carnegie also made himself a landowner gentry of Scotland. For this, he first became an incredibly wealthy American baron. And then in 1862, he went back to Scotland in heroic march. He wanted his relatives and townspeople to know that he had made it. His father died in poverty, but Andrew and his mother were back, When they arrived, she burst into tears. She had gone away afraid and disgraced, but he had come back as a proud mother and a wealthy son. Carnegie enjoyed going on frequent vacations. During that time, he let his managers run the business. He told young men that success doesn't come from endless work, instead, it came from being the right man at the right time and place. He asked them to be clean and free of vices. By 1962, his salary from Pensy was just 1 20th of his income. His primary income was from other sources which gave regular dividend checks, but he didn't stick to the values he asked the younger businessman to follow. Once he formed the final deal wholly to his benefit, he smartly separated the parties into two competing firms. This way he had control of both. He was aware that the vision would fail. Within months, he combined them into the famous union iron. He became the president while his brother, Tom, became the VP. Not every unethical move pays off. Carnegie lied to his brother about buying two British patents. These patents were for techniques to make very strong railway rails. Tom claimed that Andrew mustn't risk the family money. Andrew agreed, but he did what he wanted, and after costly setup, he found the new methods to be worthless. His pride proved costly, and he lost colossal family money. In his autobiography, Andrew said that he was never into speculation, but this was a lie. He did manipulate deals and shares. Carnegie also made fast insider gains manipulating real estate. And he also printed false, unauthorized Western Union share certificates. These certificates paid him dividends for years. Carnegie's unique talent was to make money the immoral way. He floated bonds and stocks on paper entities. These were firms which were sure to go broke. His ability to hang paper on immature investors drove him to Manhattan. He opened his office just two blocks away from the House of Morgan. For years, he sold US railroad bonds, immature European securities. Trading was also not regulated. So though, he was often sued. He'd beat the rap, plus Carnegie also gambled in shares. He held stocks in speculative St. Louis bridge firm, Carnegie knew in advance that it was going under. Hence, he sold his shares before Morgan declared the bonds worthwhile, but shares worthless. His autobiography brags about this Wall Street time. Reaching Olympus and then metamorphos. Andrew entered the steel industry in 1870. He was attracted by a new duty Congress put on imported steel. Carnegie was wooed to put money in a steel plant. So he walked to check the Bessemer Converted Plant and other nearby furnaces. He asked many questions till he was convinced this was the future. And so he set up a steel factory near Pittsburgh with an old friend. He became moral and hired a good quality board. Now almost 50, he wished to marry. One could often spot him in snobby clubs or horseback riding. It was then that he met Louise Whitfield. She was his riding partner. Carnegie then proposed marriage to her and she said yes. The couple had a daughter during their happy marriage. Labour Troubles Carnegie's new factory is well located on 106 acres. It had great rail connections. He named the plant E.T. after the architect Edmund Thomas. Carnegie pushed orders, hence E.T. earned profit from day one. But not much after its opening, labour issues began. Their demands were typical, that is, better conditions, less working hours, and more money. Carnegie felt that when capital and labor came face to face, capital wins. So to prove this, he addressed the strike strongly, and he rejected unions. This face-off led to his union breaking at the Homestead Mill. He thought that at this mill, the fight would be apparent, but it was not. Why? Because the union made a war chest and fought. Carnegie's dealing with Homestead was cruel. He fought the battle from Europe using Picketon guards. But the union workers also put up a fight. This battle ruined his employee-friendly image. When he recited his version, Carnegie refused any responsibility. He even denied using Percutins. Carnegie's masked his excuses with dishonesty, saying he retired from business years ago. But he was active all through the Homestead situation. Carnegie did business all his life, even in his last months when he moved his assets to personal trust. The union breaking strike at the mill ended brutally. Carnegie starved the labourers into giving up. He banished the union at the homestead and ET. Plus he imposed a 12-hour $1.30 to $1.50 daily wage rate. Hence he was able to make his firm profitable. Carnegie hid the vast profits from the public eye. Charity and change. He sold his firm to J.P. Morgan for $400 million and thus Carnegie became the wealthiest man in the world. Later on, he changed himself into a philanthropist. His charities and gifts are famous and many. He paid for many public libraries throughout the U.S. His gifts exceeded $200 million when he was alive. But during the last years, his wealth was growing automatically, hence he had to find a smart method to get rid of it. So he came up with a way. This method allowed him to be rich and die poor. He used the legal way of making large donations to personal charity trust. But Carnegie's real charitable calling wasn't in libraries and schools. Instead, he fought for world peace. He became obsessed with the challenge of world peace. He was called manic as he asked world leaders to adopt his war avoidance plans. But Carnegie kept on going. The Carnegie Endowment Carnegie set up the Carnegie Endowment when William Howard Taft became president. This was a significant foundation dedicated to world peace. He knew this trust would outlive him. Carnegie wrote a flattering letter to Taff. In this, he praised Taff's devotion to peace. He even offered to fund this setup of a peace organization. Carnegie didn't know that Taff and his wife hated him, but Carnegie knew how to achieve anything. Taff invited him to stay at the White House. They put his ideas into action. Carnegie wrote the legal device for the peace organization himself. Plus, he gave $10 million worth of 5% gold bonds of US steel to Carnegie Endowment. The gifts were around $3.5 billion in the long-run value. At 40, as the tight-fisted employer, he reduced wages that he may play philanthropist and give away libraries. His last years. Carnegie liked dealing with people he saw as his equals. That is kings, four presidents, and the Kaiser. He was a close friend of the president, Woodrow Wilson. Wilson took Carnegie's plans seriously. Eventually, Wilson built the idealistic but powerless League of Nations. But the Great War headed that victory. Carnegie's dreams were crushed as men killed men brutally. He turned from a big talker to a defeated old man. As a last act of charity, he gave all his wealth to his trust. Hence, he died broke on paper. But he became immortal through his namesake charities. Carnegie couldn't attain world peace, but he raised endless philanthropy. Andrew Carnegie quotes, A messenger boy of the name of Andrew Carnegie, yesterday they found a draft of the amount of $500. Like an honest little fellow, he deposited the paper in good hands. The longer the men stayed out of work, the hungrier and more desperate they and their families would become, and the easier it would be to break their strike. The result of breaking the union was, as Carnegie had expected, an unprecedented boom in productivity and profits. Carnegie would spend the rest of his life trying to remove the stain of the homestead from his reputation. It is difficult to imagine a 30-year-old man in good health and a medium frame weighing 109 pounds and standing no more than 5 feet tall. Carnegie was committed to funding schools for working people, black and white. And last, the tragedy of Carnegie's last year's, was that no one took him as seriously as he took himself. And that's a wrap on the book summary of Andrew Carnegie Biography by David Nassau. If you like this summary and want to listen to over 500 more, you can check us out on Spotify at Best Book Bits. We will find over 500 audiobook summaries to listen to, and we're also on Google Podcast and Apple Podcast. If you're into the video book summary, you can find us on YouTube with over 500 video book summaries uploaded previously. And if you're into the written book summary, follow us on bestbookbeats.com, where you can read over 500 book summaries at your pleasure. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to be updated with the latest book summaries with your email, pop your email in the link below. Thanks for watching and listening. Hope you got something from this. Go out there. Have an amazing day. Take care. Bye-bye now.